The British, the British dream. Below our expectations. We're about to be an all country. We're about to be a country. Wonderful to be here. The British dream podcast. Join us, powerful people, as we launch up despicable acts like these and the sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this Shut up in your face. is that it's so violent. When the next phase of this disaster comes, they will come for you. Hello and welcome to the British Dream, Vice's politics podcast. My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com. Mr Corbyn, do you regret... Try to calm down... Not in the slightest. ...and behave like an adult. This week we're talking about anti-Semitism with members of Judas. Judas is a left-wing, anti-capitalist, non-Zionist group of British Jews. Sometimes they take themselves seriously, other times, well, you'll see. I think I was vaguely aware of Judas for a while as like this thing that was on the internet before it, it was a thing that existed for me in real life. The point when I got involved was when the first Birth Wrong happened. So Birth Wrong is um, like a, a Judas project where we take a bunch of people on holiday to somewhere in the Jewish diaspora, which has interesting history. And we kind of celebrate that place and its history and talk about it and have fun and get drunk and go and eat nice food. And it's it's a kind of parody and critique of Birthright, which is one of the many different organizations that takes young Jewish people on free holidays to Israel to try and convince them to marry each other and move mm-hmm. there. Uh, so Birthwrong number one happened in Spain and I was actually living in France at the time and I heard about it so I hitchhiked down to Spain and just met loads of really fascinating people and had loads of really amazing conversations and kind of started to think that there was lots of stuff about Jewish culture and even like religious practice that could actually be part of my life when I'd never been a very religious person before. And the point is you would go somewhere that is not Israel, but still has like Jewish roots and like explore that instead. Mm, yeah, it's it's kind of semi-piss taken, semi-serious, like mm-hmm. quite a lot of Judas things. Part of the aim is, is to make fun of birthright because it is essentially kind of ridiculous. And part of it is to get people thinking about all the different kinds of Jewish cultures that have existed all over the world for thousands of years and how that's just as interesting and just as meaningful. And so, like, for a listener who doesn't know what Judas is, it's quite a good example because you guys basically explore being Jewish, but in a way that maybe criticises the mainstream ideas of it. Rob, like, how did you sort of discover it? I was a really angry kid and I was really annoyed uh, with the things that I felt hadn't sort of been taught to me when I was growing up. I came from a really intensely Zionist background and then learning some sort of truths about Israel and Palestine, you know, that I respond to that badly. I wanted nothing to do with the community. And then from going from a place of like not really wanting anything to do with Judaism to wanting to explore my roots again, I actually ended up in Jerusalem about five, six years ago, which is actually when I found out about Judas, ironically, in Jerusalem right. um, from, a, from a friend of ours who was there and, and then coming back and finding a place that was diasporist, which was open to sort of like... Uh, exploring different elements of faith which can be like sort of anarchistic at the same time and celebrating the diaspora and we're celebrating the unique culture like for example here in London of like East London Yiddish and exploring you know the difference the, the working class Jewish culture that existed in this city that's been for one reason or another neglected that was just it was too irresistible the thing with Judaism is that you can pretty much interpret whatever I, some people won't like me saying this, you can sort of interpret whatever ideology you want onto it. And I think in some ways that's kind of the point of it. But like, you know, you can, you can find different texts which you can interpret in a way which is against authority. Uh, one I've been looking at recently is the destruction of the Second Temple thousands of years ago and how this this 
tracked about it all being because the people succumb to baseless hatred and like the interpretations that come from that about racism opposing uh, fascism i was looking at that in the context of everything that's been going on in gaza the last few weeks you had like quite a sort of angry reaction by the sounds of things because i came from an intensely zionist background my some of my ancestors were the founder of a city in israel called petah tikva mm-hmm. and like that's a legacy that you know a lot of people in my family like really cling on to and it kind of defines them and then learning about you know some of the injustices that happened and acts of ethnic cleansing and traumas and that have never been dealt with you know both our own in the jewish community and the trauma of the palestinians this big gaping hole of trauma that's never been closed my younger self couldn't really cope with that so i just reacted in a very negative way i didn't want anything to do with it has judas been important in kind of allowing you to explore that without sort of accepting the bits you didn't like yeah judas was an outlet to show me that that judaism is what you can make of it i always had an inferiority complex compared to like my more orthodox cousins because i felt like wrongly i felt like they were a, a genuine reflection of like true judaism or like really genuine judaism in some way but then i realized you know and i think it was very much uh, it's helped by the, the friendship circle around judas and the crowd the wider crowd of the judas lot you know judaism can it can be intense talmud study in yeshiva but it can also be the amazing traditions of subversive art and music which you know jews around the world have engaged in for for centuries if not millennia uh, people like daniel kahn who's an amazing radical yiddishist mu- uh, musician who uh, actually had a lot to do with me rekindling my interest in in judaism was discovering his music online and, and listening to some thinking wow you know i had ancestors in romania and poland and lithuania who were uh, engaged in this amazing diasporic yiddish culture which because of the events of the last century, I've now sadly become so removed from. And that was just like, it poked and prodded me and just left me with so many questions. Like, what is this? And how do I find out more about it? So when did Judas actually start? There's various answers to that question, um, including Judas exists outside time and space and is mm-hmm. older than the Torah or any other religion. <laughs> uh, the book of Judas was discovered in a Dalston kebab shop in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, or Judas is about 13 years old, meaning that Judas is going to have their bar mitzvah this year. Oh, nice. Congrats. I spent a long time talking to young Jewish people about their life in Britain and experiences they've had of anti-Semitism and how they see the future for our country. And so, you know, for the first, well, nearly 13 years of that existence, it's been fairly subcultural and somewhat under the radar there's been a few articles on vice about it because it's quite interesting but basically it's like a group for people of a culture and then fast forward to what a couple of months ago and it was sort of front page news in the daily mail yeah because you had yeah that was interesting jeremy corbyn at a cedar holding a beetroot aloft well i don't think jeremy corbyn said it but people saying fuck the police and fuck capitalism just to clarify, Jeremy Corbyn wasn't holding the beetroot. It was a. Uh, <laughs> this is a really important detail. It's a very important detail. I think Jeremy Corbyn was thoroughly confused and a bit perplexed by the whole scenario. So Judas has been holding Passover seders every year for the last few years. So a seder is like a traditional meal. You get together, you sit around and say lots of prayers and sing songs and talk through the story of Passover, which is the whole bit with the ten plagues and the Jews running away from being slaves in Egypt. There's all these different rituals. It involves drinking at least four glasses of wine. It's pretty fun. We've been holding them for ages and they get bigger every year, which is really nice. Like each, like we've gone from kind of 30 people to 50 people to 80 people to well over 100 this year. 
Um, and when we knew it was going to be about 100 people, we booked a church hall in Islington. Um, and then a friend just said, well, I mean, this Jeremy Corbyn's constituency and I know him from Labour Party activism. So why don't I ask him if he'd like to come along? Yes. Yeah, so, and suddenly it was like embroiled in this huge sort of national scandal of Labour anti-Semitism and you were getting articles and uh, some Labour MPs even saying Judas is actually anti-Semitic. Let's kind of unpackage that. How come people were saying you guys are anti-Semitic? I think my favourite meme that came out of that whole scandal, because of course a lot of it was memes, the whole thing was just one big meme, was um, Board of Deputies who represent represent the British Jewish community. You know, it's them being like, Jeremy Corbyn, you've got to meet more Jews. No, not those ones. Yeah. And it's because I think, I don't know, we, we invoke emotional responses in people, I think it's fair to say. Mm. We take things in our humour and our jesting at our own roots people kind of just interpret that as us having a go and see if see us perhaps coming from a place of hate when it's really coming from a place of love. This, this is our tradition and we're reclaiming it as our tradition. The group is piss-takers, right? To some extent. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of satire going on. There's a lot of kind of calling out things we don't like about the world in general and about the mainstream Jewish community um, and making fun of things we don't like about the mainstream Jewish community. And... One of the things that's really difficult and complicated about this whole anti-Semitism scandal is that it actually it actually is very hard to define anti-Semitism sometimes. And you can talk to ten different Jewish people and you'll got you'll get twenty different opinions and definitions of what anti-Semitism is. And a lot of more right-wing, more pro-Israel Jews do consider us to be anti-Semites. Like they call it, oh, you know, you're the self-hating Jews. If you hate Israel, that means you must be anti-Semitic. You must hate other Jews. You must secretly hate yourself. It's not that surprising that part of the whole media explosion after the Seder was people describing us as anti-Semites and the Daily Mail kind of saying that we were, you know, screaming hatred at Judaism or whatever it was. I think I kind of naively didn't expect there to be a big media explosion like this mm. over Corbyn coming to the Seder. But once it started happening, I think all the terms of it and all the ways that it happened were kind of predictable. Like this is all stuff that's been said to us for over 10 years already just not on the front page of the Daily Mail before. There were some very ironic things that happened in the middle of that whole uh, that whole episode. Like, for example, there were some Labour MPs who were tweeting immediately, I think even the same night as the Seder happened, that, oh, this, this group, we don't know who they are, they're dodgy, they've got anti-Semitic views. And then you had this ironic thing of, People who are not Jewish, who, you know, with all due respect, don't have much of an understanding of Judaism and the Jewish community, were calling us, calling us anti-Semitic. It was kind of ironically anti-Semitic in, in, in itself, the way they were doing that, because they were sort of defining, oh, this is how you be a Jew. If you're going to be a Jew, you've got to have these views on Israel, and this is what we expect of you. And I think for, throughout the whole thing, we've all been between like a rock and a hard place. Like there are definitely a lot of misunderstandings out there about who Jews are, what we believe, what are our differences. And I think sometimes in this whole conversation, I think with all due respect, people need to just shut up and listen to us. But I mean, there are also plenty of Jews saying that it was bad that he went to a Jewish thing as well, right? A common refrain that was being was going around uh, Jewish social media which was, uh, well, yeah, you know, okay, but you should also go to a Seder with you know more mainstream communal bodies yeah perhaps he should have but it would have helped if a single body had invited him unfortunately in the situation we were the only jewish communal organization and we are a jewish communal organization who invited him to a seder so 
yeah, I mean, it's not our fault what other organizations don't do. I think that's what political leaders should do. I think what's interesting about like left-wing anti-Semitism is it seems to be such an unknown thing. Where do you think it all comes from? Like, how much does this exist in history on the political left who are traditionally against racism and so on? I would dispute that the white left has always been against racism. Okay. For a start, or that the Gentile left has always been against anti-Semitism. I think there's been problems. I think there's always been problems with all forms of racism in left-wing movements everywhere forever mm-hmm. which is depressing <laughs> but i think true so i think this form of anti-semitism exists on the right and the left mm-hmm. definitely and the way the way it's expressed is different but i think that exists on the right and the left and then a big difference obviously is that for most right-wing anti-semites there's also the creepy racial aspect where jews are not considered to be normal white people even if they have white skin and that they're like a separate race that has to be wiped out the kind of, kind of um, anti-Semitic stereotypes like Jews will cheat you out of your money and Jews are secretly controlling the media and Jews are secretly running all the world governments, I think, are kind of not equally present, but they are present on left and right and at all parts of the political spectrum. There is that section of the modern left, which is, um, you know, very, very stringently authoritarian secularist. Um, where it takes an outlook about like, you know, they'll sort of uh, often has friends say to me like, oh, why do you have to define yourself by your Jewishness? You're just a British person and your Jewishness is just secondary to that. Whereas actually my identity is so much more complicated. They fit and that, that's been present throughout history. So it was very present during the time of the Soviet Union as well. And the Comintern and, you know, their, the official line was that, you know, you know, was essentially forced Jewish assimilation. And I think there's still elements of that on the left that's never been addressed. So that mural was kind of, I think, quite instructive in like what, left-wing anti-Semitism looks like. And I wondered, the Labour anti-Semitism scandal, do you think part of the problem is a lot of people who, as you say, got like a bad political education, suddenly flooded the Labour Party when Jeremy Corbyn got in? Personally, I think a lot of them were, were there in the first place. I think uh, this this lack of education is, is clearly present throughout the political spectrum. Unfortunately, it's a societal phenomenon. For example, I mean, the Lib- Liberal Democrats also had their... Uh, things going on the conservatives had students who were singing really dodgy drinking songs at oxford i think a few years ago i mean th- this is present everywhere it- so, so it's not like a load of keyboard warriors suddenly joined the labor party and infected it with like a bad type of politics i don't think so i don't think so i think i think anti-semitism like other forms of racism just exists everywhere there are definitely just as many if not almost certainly more anti-Semites in the Tory party as there are in the Labour party. I don't know. This is where I feel between a rock and a hard place because like, whereas I agree with what you know, Hannah just said. I also do feel that it also partly came to the fore this time. Like I've been looking, you know, like if you look on social media and you look at a lot of the very vocal uh, pro-Palestine activists, unfo- especially the ones who are very, very active on social media, unfortunately, some of them, and people are not going to like me for saying this necessarily, but some of them don't do themselves any favours. That when, 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 they get into, when they get into scandals, they don't just be like, okay, hold on, I need to reassess my strategy and like not fall deeper into a hole. Some of them are like, let's fall deeper into the hole, all for the hole. Yeah. And and it's just, it's like, no. Because <laughs> like, you know, and that's where you feel in between a rock and a hard place. So, you know, where, 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 like I, I'll go from like a, a Labour Party meeting on the one hand where I've done workshops on anti-Semitism and being like, this is real and please believe me. And then going to like my right-wing family at Shabbat dinner, it's a dinner that Jews do on Friday nights and being like, ah, this is still being just blown up out of proportion. Isn't the other side of 
the labor and semitism scandal and why the story has run on is the leadership's reaction to it can livingston manage to leave the party off his own accord rather than be kicked out jeremy corbyn's initial reaction to that mural was less than good back to ken when when ken livingston left jeremy corbyn said it's a real shame which i can understand because ken livingston did things in the 80s that Jeremy Corbyn would have admired, but you'd, you feel mm, like Jeremy yeah, Corbyn I'm... could then have just said, rather than like, this is a shame, he could have said like, it's a shame that you've fallen so far because what you now think is disgusting or something like that. You yeah, know? I mean, you know, what I would have said is it, it's a shame that a once great politician has become a weird old man obsessed with Hitler, but I guess <laughs> that would be quite controversial if Jeremy Corbyn had come out and said that. You probably can't say that if you're the leader of the opposition. When he was invited to Judas to say that, was there ever like... A question in your mind about it one of the things that i find quite interesting and has i think been a bit lost in this whole discourse is that i mean it's, it's difficult to define who is in judas you know it's a kind of loose community of people but i would say that probably the majority of people in some way involved with judas are pretty far to the left of jeremy corbyn and i think it, i find it slightly weird that um because he attended one of our events, a lot of people have been kind of describing us as Corbynistas and kind of assuming that we're going to defend everything he might say or agree with everything he might say. Um, and that's quite strange. And I feel like we've been quite openly critical of some things that he said, like his, Im Im you know, the, his immigration policies. You know, when he was invited to the Seder, I don't think anyone saw that as an opportunity to kind of pounce on him and go, Jeremy, are you an anti-Semite? Mm -hmm. Um, partly because I don't think anyone involved in Judas seriously believes that he is an anti-Semite. I think we believe that he's maybe said a couple of unwise things, hobnobbed with a couple of groups he shouldn't have done, hobnobbed with, um, defended other people's anti-Semitism unwisely at some point in the past. But I don't think any anyone I know, you know, respect in terms of their political opinions would say Jeremy Corbyn doesn't like Jews. I mean, that's... It seems kind of ridiculous. What then do you make of the reaction of other more higher profile um, Jewish representative organisations that are like very loudly appalled at Jeremy Corbyn and the leadership the whole time and, you know, held that protest outside Parliament, for instance? I've been getting frustrated with them. I think that's the obvious thing for me to say. Um, I, on the one hand, I kind of hold a sadness for the fact that our community holds so much trauma that we are so, in, in a way, very fearful and, and scared in the way that we approach the world. And I think often anger and hatred comes from a place of fear. And I think that's very true in this case. At the same time, I get very frustrated with individuals who are kind of like, we, you know, we demand Corbyn does this and that and this and this. And he, he tries and holds a meeting and, you know, they completely rebuff him. But so you're saying like you don't really believe those organizations are truly representative in the way that they present themselves? I think perhaps it's a tough question because, you know, it's, it's definitely fair to admit that we're, we're, we, we are, in our opinions, a very small section of the Jewish community. Going back to before what I said about, you know, the community still holding so much trauma that there's still so much defensiveness and so much fear approaching international issues that we feel like we really have to cling on to our own, holding that sadness and sympathy on that level in a way for, for my community from that point. At the same time, yeah, um, there is a lot of doubt on certain issues within the community, especially from younger members of the community who feel like they've never had questions answered on certain political issues, uh, both domestic and international. And communal bodies, are, they're completely reluctant to provide space to actually discuss those fairly and openly and will put pressure and will bu bully people when they speak out on those issues. I think there's a lot of potential reasons why 
Jewish people in this country would dislike the Labour Party or go to a protest like the one outside Parliament, the anti-anti-Semitism demo thing. Um, I think some of, the, I mean, I think in some cases it's because some of them are Tories and they don't want to see a democratic socialist government or a kind of slightly more leftist than we've had before Labour government. There are people in, in the Jewish community and in these Jewish communal organisations um, who are really horrified by the thought of, of a left-wing government. So this is a kind of... This is one way in which to try and prevent a leftist Labour government from getting into power. What about that guy? Did you see that guy who was like um, a Labour council candidate who was who did a sort of selfie Twitter video about how he'd been campaigning in, I think it was Barnet. It was like one of the quite Jewish areas of North mm. London. And he was a Labour candidate. And he was saying it's like so hard to go and canvas because your sort of stomach drops as you open the door and have to have another discussion about how your party is like horribly anti-Semitic. I mean, yeah, I think it is a very, very widespread opinion in the community that the Labour Party has this massive problem with anti-Semitism. And I think, like Rob said, a lot of that comes from fear. I think it also comes from people who feel like their only way to be safe in this country is to be as assimilated as possible, and that includes being politically centrist. I think some of the things the community does encourages us to be more fear more fearful than we need to. Um, I think anti-Semitism is real and anti-Semitic violence is real. Um, and there are obviously people in this world, though luckily I think these days they're a small minority who would love all the Jews to die. Like those people do exist. When other like non-Jewish leftists have approached me and like asked me like my opinion and, and for advice on certain things connected to everything that's going on at the moment, I, that's you know something that I've always you know e- you know echoing what Hannah just said. That's something that I've always tried to say to people that you know when, whenever you go on social media and you see you know uh, white British leftists, non-Jewish. Um, saying, oh, how could these people support this and how could these people doing that? It's like they're traumatized. They are they are not thinking rationally. We are collectively as a people traumatized. And whereas I wouldn't say like I wouldn't, you know, like try and make someone who's dealing with very real oppression and re- very real like racist policies directed against them to try and hold that. People people in the UK who are getting who are choosing you know, have thoroughly just making a choice to get involved on certain issues which which concern Jewish people, I feel do need to hold that a little bit better, especially when they're stepping into a place where they're engaging with us. A steaming pile of sewage. I was interesting what you are saying earlier about um, the recent kind of protests about what's been happening in Gaza with Israel, like murdering scores of Palestinian protesters. And you were saying some of the sort of pro-Palestinian sentiment you've seen online has been people have been better at not going over into anti-semitism some of the old issues that have always existed are still there like it's not 100 percent better but um without naming names and organizations because i don't really want to do that right now uh, certain people and individuals have been uh, a lot better at engaging uh, for example um after the incident i described before i never wanted to go to another one of those classic demos outside the israeli embassy again uh and i broke that a few weeks ago i went to speak to uh, a demonstration that invited us to speak to them um and i wouldn't have done that if things hadn't improved slightly uh, and in fact one of the one of the things because you know a lot of us ex- experience fallout for taking a stand on uh what's going on in gaza and face some pressure from that and actually just some, amazingly some people from inside the pro-palestine movement um 
largely Palestinians themselves are actually ironically been reaching out to us to express solidarity, which I found like, wow, okay, yeah. that's surreal. <laughs> I found that really moving. I was really grateful for that, actually, because I, I think it's really important that one of the things we do as anti-Zionist Jews is we have to be able to simultaneously talk about how hard it is to be an anti-Zionist Jew and how you can be rejected by your family and community and how it can be very, a very difficult position to take, but also not try and make it sound like we've got it as bad as Palestinians have and not, not make it all about us. I think sometimes, quite often actually in recent years in my experience, you get moments of really quite beautiful solidarity between Jews and Palestinians around this issue and people mutually reaching out to each other and offering each other support and lots of people understanding what, what are the things that are difficult and painful for, for each group of people in this situation. This is purely anecdotal, but from my own experience, I actually, I've actually found that Palestinian activists get all this stuff a lot more naturally and easily than white British leftists do. Yeah, that's 100% true. Would you say like this whole experience of a group you're sort of affiliated with becoming a national story in the context of a big scandal about anti-Semitism of the left and then the whole thing being kind of um, put in a very sharp relief when Israel attacks people in Gaza would you say like things generally are getting better and people are more understanding now or worse or what do you think I think we're right in the middle of this weird situation at the moment and it's everyone is not just Judas and I think it's difficult to say at this point what this situation is going to lead to because it's quite weird and because we're in the middle of it I feel like in five years time we're going to be able to look back and draw conclusions about like what changed in terms of anti-semitism and the British state at that at that weird point when Judas was on the front of the Daily Mail one really positive thing that's happening is that it's been really good that a lot more people are aware that Judas exists and aware that other leftist Jewish groups exist and aware that Jewish anti-Zionism or Jewish non-Zionism or diasporism or whatever you want to call it exists. And we have had a lot of people reaching out to us, like, like kind of like Rob was saying, people who are in the situation that he was in, like young people who are starting to question the narrative they've been told about Israel um, and people in Palestine solidarity movements who want to kind of talk to us about what anti-Semitism in pro-Palestine organizing looks like and how to try and avoid it and challenge it when they see it. Um, we've had lots of people from kind of local momentum groups and grassroots Labour Party people kind of contacting us and saying like, we, we want you to help us with this. We want to be part of this discussion. We want to work out how to not be anti-Semitic. I think there's loads of really interesting, positive conversations going on. And I think the parts of the community that are more right-wing and Zionist are feeling very threatened, actually. I think there's a lot of tension and a lot of anger going in all directions. And I think there's a lot of people who were... I think it was easy for a long time for centrists and right-wingers and Zionists to dismiss Judas because we were so small and so fringe. Like, oh, those are just the nutcases, you know? You don't even have to listen to them. You don't even have to take them seriously. They're, they're just crazy. Um, and I think one thing that's happening that's very difficult and stressful but is going to be positive in the long run is a lot of people who are slightly more liberal left centrist than us are 
communicating with us and other people on the further left about these issues and kind of questioning a lot of things and trying to make connections and speaking out to other people in their community saying, well, actually, I think maybe those nutcases are making a good point. Mm -hmm. Like maybe we could talk about this. And actually that's making people really angry. Um, and I think also realizing that actually that actually Judas is not just a little fringe group of nutcases, that actually a lot of us are deeply involved in the community, um, you know, work for work for bigger Jewish communal organizations and charities, work for synagogues, are very involved in religious community building. I think that's making a lot of people feel very angry and defensive and a lot of leftist Jews are getting harassed and attacked in some really unpleasant ways at the moment, which is terrible for them. But I think in the long run, this is going to turn out to be a good thing because I think actually it shows that we're having a bigger impact than we ever have before. And we're being able to reach more people and more people are questioning what they've been taught about Israel as a result. <laughs> Thanks to our guests, Rob Abrams and Hannah Gold. The British Dream was produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. See you in a bit. Stay positive. Keep the dream alive. <laughs>